0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are, or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Mackenzie, Laura, Jennifer, and Val I'm so sorry if I've absolutely butchered your name. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like these amazing people and get access to our notes, bonus episodes, live streams, and more, head on over to Patreon.com/podandprejudice and check out all of our different levels. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters sixteen and seventeen of Sense and Sensibility. You know, while we're getting into talking about Jane Austen, I absolutely—and we'll get into this when we actually start the episode—but like, what is happening? What is she doing? You seem
1: compromised.
0: Yeah, I'm. Well, first of all, I thought that Eddie wasn't coming back, and we'll get there. Second of all, what the fuck is he... What is going on? Why is he being this way? And we'll get into it. I just felt I had to say that before we begin. A
1: mixed signals king.
0: Yeah, like, (laughs) listeners, it's evening right now, and we're recording. Um, I am fully wrapped up in a blanket, ready to dive in. I'm wearing my wolf shirt. They're howling at the moon. Love that. I really like that shirt. It does kind of have the vibes of the Twilight t-shirts. I mean... Like the color <laughs> scheme. Um, it's got three wolves howling
1: at the moon. Twilight has really co-opted the whole um, wolf motif in a way I don't appreciate. Twilight has co-opted wolves. They've co-opted vampires. Like, there was a time when Angel and Spike were the sexy vampires, I'm missing the reference. Okay, when we finish our Jane Austen podcast, which is all very intellectual and shit, sometime we'll watch Buffy.
0: Oh, it's Buffy. Yeah. Mm, I really do want to watch Buffy. Isn't Kristen
1: Bell and Buffy, or did I make that up? You made that up, but what you're picking up on is that Buffy is a very, it's a show about a perky blonde who kicks ass and kind of goes through trauma, but still like holds on to her inner strength. Kristen Bell starred in Veronica Mars, which is a similar vibe. Veronica
0: Mars. Yes.
1: This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We
0: are here specifically to talk about chapters 16 and 17 of Sense and Sensibility. Listeners, in case you're new here, I would recommend going back to the beginning of this season and
1: starting there. But
0: just in case... I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen except for Pride and Prejudice.
1: I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen, including Pride and Prejudice. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice for the first time, go check out season one of the podcast, but that's not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking
0: about these chapters in which Jane Austen really just changed her mind about what this book was about in my opinion. Okay, wait,
1: (laughs) unpack that for a second. I just, we were on such a path. Okay, we were on a path in the first, like, set of chapters, and then we were on another path in the next set of chapters. That's true. Now Now we're on a third path. We're kind of returning to path A. We are. Well, the thing is, all right, well, we'll get to my
0: predictions at the end, but section one for me was, like, money issues, gotta marry our daughters off, gotta find a house to live, like, all of these things, like, statistic things that we had to deal with, um, and logistics. Section two was the drama, the high drama, <laughs> Colonel Brandon's flipping his, like, oh my god, did he have a child out of wedlock? Like, I want him to be with Eleanor so bad, like, that's so random that this is happening to me that I'm thinking this way. That was section two. Section three Eddie comes back and it's like, what's happening? So I guess we should just get into it.
1: Yeah, we should. So listeners, uh, pick up your books. Let's get started. I don't know why I said that, but here we are. It happened.
0: (laughs) Pick up your books and let's get started. I need to pull up my notes, so I need to pick up my book. Listeners, where we left off, Colonel Brandon had just disappeared on business to town. Shortly thereafter, Willoughby, also disappeared on business to town with no explanation whatsoever. And we are dealing with the aftermath of that. So Marianne has expectations for how she should behave in this situation it said something along the lines of she would be very disappointed in herself if she had woken up and been fine the next morning. Luckily, she didn't wake up and <laughs> was not fine, but she's really wallowing. Oh, she's reveling in the drama. She's exacerbating her own drama. Yes. She's making it hard on herself. She's got a h- constant headache. She can't sleep. She can't eat. She spends every day walking around Allenham and just crying. <laughs> and then she comes home and she plays all of Willoughby's. Favorite songs on the piano
1: forte, and she cries. Some more. Someone like you. <laughs> it really has vibes of like that first scene in New Girl when she's like, "I'm totally chill," and then it flashes to her <gasps> dealing with her breakup and watching Dirty Dancing. Yes,
0: yes. Oh my gosh, that's gonna be the meme. <laughs>
1: just just like balls of tissues on her face sobbing bunned hair sitting on the floor just like surrounded by like photos of him that's what marianne is vibing at right now yes it's like that and then later on when she and nick break up for the first time and she's like i wanted to listen to taylor swift alone and then he's like uh, throws her tissues outside the door and she catches them because they're both, like, upset and he's drinking in his room alone and she's watching Dirty Dancing. What a good show! Spoilers for people who don't watch New Girl, I guess, but it's been
0: a while. That's another show you don't really watch for the plot. So, Marianne's having a hard time. After a few days, she goes from that state of being to just melancholy. And Mrs. Dashwood has explanations for why Willoughby hasn't written. Her theory is that since the engagement is a secret, he can't write and risk John Middleton opening the letter or like intercepting it, which like he's John Middleton. Well, I was going to say he's not going to say anything, but he would say something. And he does
1: all the time. He certainly would. But it's a pretty convoluted explanation on the part of mrs dashwood which eleanor agrees with
0: yeah eleanor thinks you know there's one way that we could find out we could ask marianne
1: i feel like in my old age i used to like give my friends advice that was just so like out there and like poetic and romantic and now i'm just like just talk to them just talk literally what i've been saying this whole book is
0: you want to find out if they're engaged you want to find out if she knows why he left Why don't you ask her, ask her, ask her? But Mrs. Dashwood won't do it. And she has good reasons, honestly. She says, one, if they're not engaged, that would make Marianne so sad to have that question. Two, if they are engaged, it would be rude to force her to confess it. And her reason in that is that she knows Marianne's heart and she knows that she loves her. And if she's going to tell her, she, she knows that she'll tell her when she's ready. So that was sweet.
1: Mrs. Dashwood's flawed, but she's also, you know, she loves her daughters a lot.
0: Yeah, I don't even think that she's flawed. I mean, she's she's flawed, but I think that she, all of her flaws stem from just believing the best in people and wanting what's best for her daughters. You're not a Marianne, you're a Mrs. Dashwood. (laughs)
1: I'm a Mrs. Dashwood. I kid I kid you're a Marianne a little bit
0: here's the thing more and more Eleanor is coming out as I read this book I'm like I actually relate to Eleanor a little bit more but some of the things Marianne does like when she goes on we'll get there but when she talks about leaves dead leaves I'm like yes girl
1: yes yes I mean some people like there's a lot of Eleanor Dashwood worship out there because like she's so practical I have feelings about that that we'll get into later through the book. But I am a staunch Marianne lover and I will like never apologize for it. I think she's fantastic, even though she is high drama and makes some choices. She is like, you know what? I'm not going to say more because uh, I don't want to give away any more of the book.
0: Fair enough. My question out of all of this, though,
1: is why can't Eleanor ask her? So I don't know if you missed it, but Eleanor has been trying. Then I missed it basically marianne's kind of avoiding eleanor oh oh yeah here let me she, like, see like if i can pull up the passage i think it comes in later they say that
0: she goes on her own walks like she doesn't go on walks with her sisters she takes the
1: high road they take the low road etc that comes in a little bit later um but yeah Eleanor's trying to like talk to marianne but marianne's not so responsive I'm feeling bad for Eleanor in these chapters. I mean, you could, I would vouch that you should feel bad for Eleanor for the like every chapter we've read so far. I do. She's dealing with a lot of bullshit. She really is. So, the family,
0: she and Mrs. Dashwood mostly, Margaret, I don't know, they are careful not to mention Willoughby for the first couple of days, whereas Sir John and Mrs. Jennings mention him all the time and kind of piss Marianne off. Uh, However, one night, Mrs. Dashwood slips up and she picks up Hamlet and she's like, oh, we never finished reading this with Willoughby. I'll set it aside till he comes back. That may be a couple months, though. And then Marianne is like, no, it won't be months. It'll be weeks. And Mrs. Dashwood feels comforted by this. Do you? No, I don't. (laughs) I don't think he's coming back. I mean...
1: Something is afoot. Something is afoot. Something's truly afoot. That's just going to be your theme through this book, though. He's just not coming back.
0: Yeah, well, I really thought Eddie wasn't coming back. And look where that got me. So. (laughs) Oh, boy. So one morning, like we said a minute ago, Marianne's been not walking with her sisters. She's been walking, going on walks by herself. One morning, Eleanor finally convinces her to go on a walk with her and Margaret. So they go on a walk and they reach a place where they've never been before. So they stop to admire the view. And Marianne sees a man approaching on horseback. The drama. I was so excited. Becca's doing shimmying motions.
1: Yeah, it's just the drama. A man comes on horseback. And this is how we first met Willoughby. A man, although I think he was on foot. He might have been on horseback, but I think it's also just like he tried to give Marianne a horse. Like there's something about a man like coming. Up forward on a horse. It's like very romantic, especially if it's two men on a horse. Especially if it's two men on a horse. Call back to season one.
0: (laughs) So Marianne gets very excited thinking, this must be Willoughby. It's him, it's him, it's him. So she starts running (laughs) towards him. And I really like picturing this whole scene. Marianne's running towards him full speed with her skirts and everything going my god it's him it's him it's him and Eleanor is behind her like no no that's definitely not him it doesn't even look <laughs> like him like what are you doing turn around and then Marianne pulls up short and turns back around and she's like it's him it's him it's him it's not him it's not him yeah yeah
1: yeah no 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 no
0: no 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 <laughs> no, 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 no no no
1: and then guess who it is guess who it is listeners I think they know because we've said it many times it's Eddie he's back <laughs> Mr. Edward Ferrars. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a, not like a womp, 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 but more like a,
1: Graham, can you recreate that?
0: It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a, oh, it's you. But Marianne is thrilled to see him. In fact, it says that he was the only man who could have been forgiven for not being Willoughby in this moment. Yeah.
1: Because in her mind, he is Eleanor's Willoughby.
0: Yes. And that is a very sweet concept, but he's being weird. Let's talk about it. (laughs) He's being super weird, so let's get into it. He walks with him back to Barton, and Marianne is being super, super nice, and really excited to see him. And she notices, like, a coldness between him and Eleanor, especially on his part, which is very weird. All All of my notes at this point have question marks next to them because I'm confused. Marianne starts to get annoyed at him because he's so different from his, quote, brother elect, which I I liked this terminology, but it's making a lot of assumptions uh, that he's going to be Eleanor's future husband and Willoughby's going to be her future husband. She asks him if he's come straight from London and he tells her that he has been in their neighborhood for literally two weeks and has
1: not come to call on them. So something's afoot. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. It's kind of like your friend showing up in your town and not telling you that they're coming. And then you see an Instagram photo and you're like, the fuck you're here? Yeah, like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? We could have gotten coffee. To be fair, I've 100% stealthy gone to cities before, but it's usually just because I'm only there for like a day and I don't have time.
0: Yes, it's different if you're only there for a day or a weekend. If you are there for two weeks, at least reach out and be like, hey, I... I'm in town if you don't have time be like hey I'm in town I, I don't think I'm gonna have time but like next time I'm around I would love to see you or something but like he was there for two weeks and he's only just now coming to see them yeah how, how are you feeling about it Molly well I was excited at first well actually I, hmm, here's the thing now I'm shipping Eleanor and Brandon so hard that I was disappointed to see Eddie to be honest do you want me to tell you anything about this or not nah? not yet because I have another wild theory to- And I don't know if you've read my notes yet, but I'm so excited. So, okay, so he's been there for two weeks. Marianne asks how Norland looks and Eleanor's like, it probably looks the same as it always does at this time of year, covered in dead leaves. And then Marianne waxes poetic about dead leaves. And I, I need to read this to you guys. Actually, actually, I think I might save this for my funniest quote because the following line is very funny. So I might put a pin in it for the end of the episode.
1: All right. cool, cool.
0: So Marianne does that. And then she tries to get Eddie to admire the scenery around them on their walk. And he says that the road they're on is very dirty. And that's rude. Then he asks if they've liked living at Barton. And Marianne immediately is like, no, we cannot be more unfortunately situated, which is rude. And Eleanor says, that was rude, Marianne. Uh, We've enjoyed many pleasant days with the Middletons. And then I think this is Marianne basically being mad at them for them bringing up Willoughby when she's been depressed, because she says they've also caused us much pain. But as I was typing these notes, I thought, wait a minute. She's mad at the Middletons and Willoughby's gone. Did he tell her more than we thought? Is he gone because of the Middletons? Did the Middletons send him away because they wanted Marianne to get with Brandon? but that doesn't seem like them, but also maybe they did, but he, but, uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so she's mad at the Middletons about something. I'll just leave that on the record. So that is something that happened, maybe. Lots of thoughts running through my head. Then the rest of the walk, Eleanor tries to just be nice to Eddie, but she's also being kind of mad at him for being so cold. And that's the end of that chapter, which brings us to chapter 17, which is where I make my wacky prediction. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm ready. So chapter 17, they arrive back at Barton Cottage, and Mrs. Dashwood is very hyped to see Eddie... And she gives him so warm a welcome that his coldness and reserve melt away. And I really liked this quote. It says, indeed, a man could not very well be in love with either of her daughters without extending his passion to her. And Eleanor had the satisfaction of seeing him soon become more
1: like himself. So basically, Mrs. Dashwood rocks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She is like the cool mom to a T. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. I'm a cool mom. Like, what is your read on how Eddie's acting right now? Like, what do you picture him being like? Because they say he's cold. They don't really like. Hey, I'm talking about Jane Austen. She says he's being cold, but she doesn't really like clarify what she means by that.
0: I don't think he's being mean. I think he's awkward and shy, like he's going to say in this chapter, but I don't think it's reading. Like his affection for the family is not coming through. And I think that they are all going to be offended in the end, or at least Eleanor is feeling pretty offended.
1: Yeah. So I think what we saw when he was with them in Norland was like this real intimacy formed between Eleanor and Edward. They really got each other. They would confide in each other. They'd spend time together. There was a language between them. And what Eleanor's experiencing now is that Eddie is just not tuning into the language. He's not being mean. He's not being rude. He's not tuning into that intimacy.
0: Mm-hmm. So... The way that I'm reading it is probably incorrect. Is this all part of the grand theory I shall hear about? My grand theory, which I will get to soon. But the way that I'm reading into it is like something's changed in Eddie and he doesn't know how to express himself. So in order to make conversation, Mrs. Dashwood jokingly, I read this all as a joke. I hope it was a joke. Otherwise, it's a very awkward conversation. But she jokingly asks Eddie, like, so what are your mother's aspirations for you right now? Are you still going to be a great orator in spite of yourself? And he's like, no, definitely not. And she asks, then how will he become famous? Like, he must be famous to make her happy. She's kidding. Okay, great, 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 good. (laughs) It's a very funny conversation because he says he's not even going to attempt to become famous. He says, quote, thank heaven. I cannot be forced into genius and eloquence. And then Mrs. Dashwood says, Uh, That he has no ambition, his wishes are moderate in life. And he says that that's true. He only wishes to be happy, and greatness will not make him happy. Then Marianne says it would be strange if greatness would make him happy. What have wealth or grandeur to do with happiness? And Eleanor says, grandeur has nothing to do with it, but wealth does. And Marianne, of course, is shocked. She's like, beyond being comfortable, the word that she uses is competence, beyond a competence, which I think means like. Beyond the base level of comfort, one does not need wealth to be happy. And Eleanor says Marianne's competence and Eleanor's wealth may be very similar. And she asks Marianne how much she considers competent. And Marianne's like eighteen
1: hundred or twelve thousand a year, no more than that. Marianne's basically just like, oh, I don't really need money to, to survive. As long as I have a three-bedroom home and two cars and enough money to go on vacation once a year, I'll be set. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Eleanor's like, are you kidding me? She's like, okay, Marianne,
0: one thousand will be wealth for me. So like, take a step back. And Marianne's like, no, no, but like, I need, I need it money for. Like a carriage and a hunter and servants and Eleanor is thinking like these are the things she'd need at Willoughby's estate.
1: Yep. She's basically doing a Rolodex of all the like things that would be in her life if she married Willoughby.
0: Exactly. And Eddie interjects that not everybody hunts and Marianne's like, well, most people do. And then Margaret just like decides to join in the conversation and she's like, I wish that somebody would give us all a large fortune of peace. Girl, same. I love Margaret here. Same. <laughs> she's like not, not involved in the conversation and then she's like, I wish we would all just randomly get a big sum of money. I get this though.
1: Oh yeah. This is such a resonant thing. This is so shameful. But like when I was like not at my wealthiest right after college, I used to like walk around and fantasize like what if I just had like a geriatric stalker and like he was obsessed with me but he was like too old to like be dangerous he just watched me all the time and he was super rich and then he just died and left me his whole fortune and I was like that'd be ideal because I would I mean I would never have to deal with like having a stalker but I'd get this all this money I would that would be left to me and I wouldn't I wouldn't be attached to the person who left it to me. I have
0: to say the (laughs) funniest thing about this conversation is that I'm pretty sure this is not the first time this has come up on the podcast.
1: Okay, I should. um, Jesus Christ.
0: No, it's so funny. It's so funny. I just I think it came up when we were talking about Daddy
1: Bennett in the beginning, like when I was saying that he was really hot. And then you were like, this is my fantasy. I've always had this fantasy. Now I actually I don't need that fantasy anymore because I'm a attorney but yeah but listen the rest of us need something to aspire to Oh yeah but the rest of you can can steal my stalker fantasy yeah
0: becca just wants a sugar daddy i don't though because i don't want to talk to him
1: fair 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 fair
0: yeah it would be nice to just one day receive a sum of money stumble <laughs> upon a huge fortune that's just yours and you don't have
1: to like do anything to get it
0: um someone sent us a tiktok that really encapsulates this moment for mary i don't remember what was like what else happened in that TikTok but everyone was like labeled as a character and then Margaret popped up and was like I wish I was a cat and that was this moment like basically yeah she's a kid it's great she's and Peggy yeah she's literally I wrote that in here
1: the Peggy of the Dashwoods
0: (laughs) and Peggy
1: (laughs) the Dashwood sisters I mean frankly Eleanor's a lot like Angelica and uh oh interesting Eliza's a lot like Marianne, did Lynn manuel Miranda just write Sense and Sensibility in rap form? Ooh, that would be something, wouldn't it? Listeners, if anybody out there is a playwright or a songwriter, let us know. Truly, let us know. We will gladly have you on the show. I mean, listen, if you send in a recording of yourself doing a very good Sense and Sensibility themed rap, we will put it on this podcast. Absolutely.
0: All right. So moving on, they then go on all about what they'd do if they suddenly came into a lot of money. And this is a nice section because... so All right, listeners. So Eddie says that that would be a happy day for the booksellers, music sellers, print shops, etc. in town if the Dashwoods came into a lot of money. And then I wrote in all caps, read this. So he first says that Eleanor would give a general commission for every new print of merit to be sent to her. And then... I just want to say before I tell you all my theory and before I preface it with this section, I don't think that this theory is entirely unfounded. So like you can come for me at the end of this book. But I really think that there are hints dropped throughout this chapter. This one being the one that actually made me like turn my head. But as we've been going through, I've been like, hmm, Eddie's interjecting at weird times in this conversation. So he says, and as for Marianne, I know her greatness of soul. There would not be music enough in London to content her. And books, Thompson, Cowper, Scott, she would buy them all over and over again. She would buy up every copy, I believe, to prevent their falling into unworthy hands. And she would have every book that tells her how to admire an old twisted tree. Should you not, Marianne? Forgive me if I am very saucy, but I was willing to show you that I had not forgot our old disputes. So my question is... Are they gonna do a little swapsies in which Marianne ends up with Eddie and Eleanor ends up with Colonel Brandon and Willoughby is gone forever? I I don't I truly don't know where he went off to, but because then I do absolutely feel like that meme of the guy in the mailroom like pointing at stuff because I've got my book. Charlie
1: from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but yes, you are that. I've got my book and I've got my phone with my notes, and I'm like climbing around in my room. I mean, I I think at some point in time on our Instagram you do have posted me just like Molly trying to understand sense and sensibility. Absolutely.
0: Hello. It's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and bothered hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. So, okay, because they go back and forth about how she'd spent her money, and then he says, after she's been like, oh yeah, the books, sure, this, that, and the other thing, he says, perhaps then you would bestow it as a reward on that person who wrote the ablest defense of your favorite maxim, that no one can ever be in love more than once in their life, for your opinion on that point is unchanged, I presume. What a thing to bring up. Just... (laughs) What a thing to bring up if you are not hoping that this person might be in love with you or that she might accept your love for her after you've been in love with her sister because she knows that he was in love with her sister, but then... He's bringing this up now and acting weird towards her sister and talking about how Marianne loves books. And then, like earlier on in the chapter, too, in my notes, there were points where like Marianne's agreeing with him about wealth and and greatness, making you happy, and like not you don't need them. And he, okay, so that's all who, all right, you are flustered. <laughs> I'm flustered because there's so much happening. So Eleanor was kind of like, "What's going on here?" And she says, Marianne is as steadfast as ever. Uh, that's still her opinion. And then he says, yeah, well, Marianne's more grave now. like She's grown up, I guess. And Marianne then says, well, Eddie's is not so gay himself. And then he says that he was never very gay.
1: You would beg to differ, by the way. I would beg to differ. I would love everyone to be gay. What if this book just ended with Edward and Colonel Brandon getting together? I would be fine with that. I would be happy
0: with it. I'm sure there's a fanfic. So, Eleanor says Marianne is also not very gay or lively. He says he's always thought of her as lively. He's always thought of Marianne as lively. And then Eleanor goes into this whole thing about misperceptions of character and how she's often made assumptions about people's characters. And she has no idea, like, why, only that maybe they were influenced by other people's opinions. And I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. So first, she says that Marianne is not very merry. Mary. And my mom always gets on me pronouncing Mary and Mary the same. It's Mary, Mary, and Mary. Yes. So, but I say them all the same because I'm from Syracuse, New York. So he says, I believe you are right, and yet I have always set her down as a lively girl. Then Eleanor says, I have frequently detected myself in such kinds of mistakes, in a total misapprehension of character in some point or other, fancying people so much more gay or grave or ingenious or stupid than they really are, And I can hardly tell why or in what the deception originated. Sometimes one is guided by what they say of themselves and very frequently by what other people say of them without giving oneself time to deliberate or judge. Now, on the one hand, she's making statements about character and judgments of character and all of this stuff. On the other hand, is she trying to get Eddie to not have a crush on her
1: sister? Do you want me to tell you? No. All
0: right. (laughs) But yeah, there's a lot going on in that statement it's so true like often I I know that I characterize people as being a certain way without actually really getting to
1: know them everyone is a protagonist in their own story and because we're all protagonists in our own story we cast people in our lives through the story and if you're not careful like people fall into certain boxes for you and they don't belong in that box necessarily I think we've all been put in somebody's box incorrectly you know? Mm -hmm. And generally, it's kind of every person thinks they're very complicated. I might be wrong here. There are I've met people who are like, no, my life's pretty chill and normal. But almost everybody I know thinks that their life is complicated and weird and that they are a person with a lot of layers. Yes. Ogres are like onions. (laughs) And therefore, like nothing feels less enjoyable than being misread. And nothing feels more enjoyable than really like feeling like you're being seen. Mm -hmm. That's really what makes you understand a person, like feeling like the person saw you the way that you see yourself.
0: Yeah. Is that too deep? too profound? No, I think that's exactly what I was hoping to get out of talking about this section. I wonder if anyone's seeing each other yet in this book. Eleanor is seeing Marianne always.
1: Yeah, Eleanor always sees Marianne. I think that's a very good insight. She's very perceptive. I think
0: Marianne sees Eleanor for the most part. Um, however, I think that Marianne really wants what's best for Eleanor. She wants her to be happy. She loves her sister. But I think that sometimes she puts like a wash perception over her of like, my perfect sister is going to be with this perfect man and she's going to be happy.
1: And even when like things aren't exactly working out there right now. To be fair to Marianne on this, there's a very deliberate move on Eleanor's part where she hides aspects of herself from her family. So like, it's not that Marianne isn't searching for those things. It's that Eleanor isn't deliberately keeping them away from her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think
0: that Colonel Brennan sees Eleanor and I think he sees those aspects of her that she hides from her family. Is this based on anything that's happened in the book? Maybe not, but that's what I think. (laughs) However, Marianne's response to this is very rude. She turns it around and goes, But I thought it was right to be guided wholly by the opinion of other people. I thought our judgment were only given us merely to be subservient to those of our neighbors. This has always been your doctrine. Like, that's a mean response. But Eleanor is very calm. And she's like, Marianne, I only wish you to behave. They're like obviously talking about something else. She's like, I only wish you to behave nicely to our neighbors. I've never asked you to like conform to their way of thinking. And then Edward is like, oh, like, have you not been able to convince Marianne to be more civil? And Eleanor is like, no. And then Eddie says he agrees with Eleanor's judgment mostly, but in practice, he's more like Marianne because he's so shy and awkward. Sometimes he comes off as rude. Then he says he thinks he must have been intended by nature to be fond of low company since he's so uncomfortable amongst the gentility. Um, Is he calling them low society?
1: No. So why does he say that? When he says society. He's talking about like larger society. It's not them in particular because he has an intimacy with them. He has a rapport with them. It's comfortable. It's like people who talk about hating parties with people our age. Mm-hmm. But when they're hanging out with a group of like three people they really like, that's really nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like basically what he's saying here is that he uh doesn't feel like he fits in. He doesn't feel like he belongs in his class level. Mm. And I think it's palpable and everything he says and does because he hates the expectations put on him he doesn't get along with his mother and his sister and their ideas of who he should be Mm -hmm. he's much more comfortable around the dashwoods whether they're in norland or whether they're in their little cottage in barton cottage like he's just he doesn't like that part of society and civilization he doesn't have the tools for it and he feels like he watches it from like an outside perspective even though he was born into it
0: that is a much more forgiving stance on him than I had been giving him
1: what were you thinking about him
0: I was just feeling really annoyed at him for (laughs) showing up you know out of the blue and not having come to see them and generally being awkward cold and awkward but like
1: I guess he's awkward and he says that well i i think cold and awkward are two different things he's certainly being cold right now actually he's not really being cold right now he's just kind of bummed out and they don't know why Mm. he's being warm to them like he's talking. He is now. But when he first saw them, he was being kind of mean. He wasn't being mean. He was just being distant, which is mixed signals.
0: <laughs> distant and se- but he said that their new neighborhood is gross, like dirt on the roads and it must get really muddy here when it rains. And like, let's just like enjoy the scenery, man. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, he's definitely he is the king of mixed signals. As you said at the top of this record sesh, I don't know if it made it into the episode or not, but mixed signal
1: bitch. We've got mixed signals galore right here. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what he's saying when he says he doesn't like society and that he comes off as rude. It's kind of like Darcy in that way. Like, just can't people so well. Yes, but nicer than Darcy. Like... Much sweeter than Darcy. Yeah. Like, like, how Darcy's servants see Darcy. <laughs> hmm So, at this point,
0: Eleanor says Mary... So, like, he had just said that he is really shy... And that's why he doesn't mix well with society. And then Eleanor's like, well, Marianne isn't shy. She's just rude. Then Eddie is like, that's because she's too confident to doubt herself. And like, if I had her confidence, I wouldn't be shy. Which, again, does Eddie like Marianne? Then Marianne says, well, you'd still be reserved even if you were confident. And that's worse than being shy, which is like basically kind of like Darcy. That's like Darcy. He's like reserved but not shy. He's just kind of rude. Yeah. (laughs) And then... Eddie gets flushed and stumbly. And he's like, what What do you mean? What do you mean reserved? Like, why do you think that? Ugh. And Eleanor's like, why? <laughs> Whoa. Like, she's watching this happen from over on the other side of the conversation. And she tries to, like, keep the tone light saying Marianne thinks everyone is reserved who isn't on her level of, like, you know, Marianne-ness. And then he gets all quiet and cold again because Marianne called him reserved and he flipped out. And then, and what's happening? What is happening? And that's the end of those two chapters. All right. Do you have
1: anything you want to add to the whole uh, theory before we go into the study questions? This
0: last bit really sold me on it. When Marianne called him reserved and he got upset, like visibly flustered, I was like, he wants Marianne's
1: approval. And you don't
0: want me to give you any answers on any of this. Unless I'm like so wildly off that like it's going to color my perception of the rest of the book. If I... I'm that off and I'm missing the point
1: of the book. I'm going to make a judgment call. Make a judgment call. I'm going to share only enough to frame you. Okay. On this. I'm not going to tell you who ends up with whom. Okay. I am going to tell you your perception of the tensions in the book is a little off. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to, I want to discuss it because it's actually, it's, it's interesting. So, with Eddie and Marianne, there's no tension. All right. Rips, Zero rip.
0: tension. <laughs> it's okay. We had we had a good 40 minutes of me thinking that, listeners. So hey, you
1: know what? It's gonna make for phenomenal content. Like yeah. incredible content. So what you're witnessing here is kind of like sibling bickering. And it's like if you reframe how those chapters go, it kind of the relationship between Edward and Marianne is one of um a lot of um warmth. And, like, friendship. Okay. But the way Marianne sees it is that he is her sister's uncool boyfriend. Right. Oh, yeah, because at the beginning, that was her whole thing. That's her whole, like, perception of Eddie. So, like, when Marianne's saying these things, she's trying to poke at him a little bit, partially to, like, Marianne's trying to wingman a little bit. She's trying to get Edward out of his shell for Eleanor. Mm-hmm. But he then
0: he's only responding in relation to her, though. Like, they're only talking about her. Yeah. And it's weird. It is weird, right? Yeah. That's why I was picking up that he had a thing for her
1: because he was only responding to her. Nope. Something about his thing with Eleanor is making him profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's not clear what. Okay, but it's probably not a crush on Marianne. It's not a crush on Marianne. All
0: right. Are you mad I told you? No, I'm not mad you told me. I don't know if our listeners will be mad, but listeners, it's okay. I'm still spoiler free. I still don't know what's going to happen. And I think this is probably for the best moving forward because I was really. Yeah,
1: no, the reason I the reason I told you is just because it is starting to color a lot of our discussion. And I kind of want you to like buckle back into like the the plot. That's fair. (laughs) That's very fair. Now, the other piece of the puzzle Colonel Brandon and Eleanor.
0: If he and her don't end up together, I don't know who's going to end up
1: with who. Do you want me to tell you?
0: You're guiding me through the book, so I feel like that is up to
1: you. I'll disclose a little bit. So, the relationship between Brandon and Eleanor is one that is very close and very platonic. No! I feel like Luke Skywalker. (laughs) That's impossible. The reason I'm bringing it up. And again, listeners, this is a spoiler free pod for Molly. She still doesn't know what happens at the end of this book. I again share these thoughts so we can frame the discussion going forward.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: You would not be the first to pick up on that, though. That makes me feel a little better. The Eddie and Marianne thing like no not a thing okay but the colonel brandon and eleanor thing there's a lot of like scholarship about it oh okay that's good (laughs) so it's not as though you're picking up on something that's not there it's just something that i think like what's clear at this point in the book is where each of their affections lies is not with each other but they're forming a very close bond together and it's a very interesting relationship for those reasons. Cool. I still ship it. And if I were to read fanfic, it would be that. Hey, you know what? When we finish Sense and Sensibility, we'll read some Colonel Brandon Eleanor fanfic. Excellent. Because, like, I do want to emphasize to you, there's a lot of philosophical discussion about this that we are going to have. Great. Good. Do you feel like I ruined things for the listeners? Listeners, let us know if you feel like I, like, spoiled a fun thing that was going on for Molly. I just feel like if we're going to keep going in the books, we need to, like... I felt like there were going to be a lot of episodes where you're like, and then Colonel Brandon and Eleanor are going to start kissing. And
0: there would definitely be a lot of that. And I can definitely see why you wanted to reel me in. Because I feel like I've been, it's been all I've talked about the last two episodes. Yeah, that's kind
1: of why I was like, this was really funny for the first episode. But I feel like this is just going to become a thing. And I want to nip it in the bud. Because
0: I was pretty sure that I was right. So sorry. It's okay. I still don't know what's going to happen, but I'm disappointed in Jane Austen, to be honest, for not writing a saucier novel. Hey, you have a
1: lot of this novel left. Yeah, okay. So, like, don't worry yet about it being saucy, okay? Okay. I promise. Okay. The sauce is in the lasagna. We're mixing metaphors. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> right. Study questions. Yeah, let's do them. All right. What do you take from Marian's current state of mourning over Willoughby? What does it say about her? And what does it say about her relationship with Willoughby at this point?
0: I still don't trust Willoughby. Still don't like him. Marianne's digging her own grave here. She's truly like, I'm going to be sad. I'm not. I mean, it's very on brand for her. She likes to feel everything to the utmost degree. But honestly, it feels a little bit like she's a caricature of herself. Like it feels like a performance. Yes. And she even says at the beginning, like, Marianne would have felt... Very embarrassed. Had she woken up and not been in tears? Like Marianne,
1: you need to just take. A... I mean, like everyone's sad when they get broken up with, but we've all had that breakup though, where we wallow for a long time. But there's wallowing, and then there's also being just like broken. And I think at this point in time, it's interesting that Marianne is wallowing. Yeah, especially since we don't know if he actually broke up with her. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna comment on that. What do you make of Edward's sudden coldness to Eleanor? And I said, do you have theories? Now that I've reframed things for
0: you. I really don't know. My only, my only thought up till this point was that he had changed his mind about which sister he had a thing for. So maybe his mom told him to come and tell her that he couldn't be with her. Maybe. Who knows? M- maybe something, something money-wise. Yeah. Who's to say? Who's to say? Whomst.
1: Whomst. All right. So I said wealth comes up a lot in this chapter and it's tied to discussions of happiness. And each of the three characters really featured in chapter 17, discusses wealth and happiness together. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered what you learned about the characters from their discussions.
0: Marianne is a little spoiled, thinking, oh, I don't need money. I just need three horses, two carriages, and a large home, like, eye roll. She's a little spoiled. Uh, as much as she likes to wax poetic, I think it's a little bit surface level. Eleanor is practical practical eleanor as always she's like we need a little bit of money a little bit of money to be happy she doesn't think she doesn't need grandeur grandeur how do you pronounce that word grandeur i don't know the only time i've ever heard it like used used not the only time but the main times that i've heard it used is in star wars episode 5 and star wars episode 6 <laughs> first c3po says got delusions of grandeur and then Han Solo in episode six says
1: geez I go away for a little bit and everyone's got delusions of grandeur anyway George Lucas if you'd like to come on this podcast I'd have kind of mixed feelings about it but come on that was such a
0: tangent just to say that Eleanor doesn't need too much but I also don't think that Eleanor has the same expectations of happiness like I don't know Marianne wants wild happiness and Eleanor is like I want to be comfortable Eddie
1: wants to be comfortable. So I guess they're they line up there on what they want. Yeah. And I mean the con- the context also is that like Eddie, I mean he's inheriting a crazy amount of money and these women are poor comparatively. Yes. Yes. And look at how Eddie is right now. Does he seem
0: happy? No. Eddie, like you said, he doesn't feel like he fits in with his class. I don't think that money is going to make him happy. I think he would rather live somewhere like Barton
1: Cottage, maybe. So we didn't really get to know Eddie until now, because in the first few chapters, they kind of just mentioned that he's got a thing with Eleanor, mm-hmm. but you don't really see it. But now we get a little peek into who he is as a person a little bit and how he speaks. wonder if you have any insights.
0: He doesn't thrill me. He's pretty boring. <laughs> he's not the most exciting character, and... I kind of, maybe that's why I'm a Marianne, because he seems like my sister's boring boyfriend. We don't get, like, you ask, have we gotten to know him
1: better? And I'm like, not really. Well, he he's still shrouded in some mystery. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. The last question I have is, the last few chapters we've been spending with Willoughby in the Dashwoods as, like, a unit, now we're getting Eddie in the Dashwoods, which sounds like a band. <laughs> Yeah, hanging out, and I think the interactions are a little different. And I wondered if you had any comments comparing those two. When
0: Willoughby is there, I feel like everyone's a little bit trying to impress him, like Missus Dashwood too. And I feel like they were like it was a very lively home for a little bit, but to me, it felt fake. With Eddie there, I mean, as much as Eddie's kind of boring, it does feel like they're all comfortable together, and like the conversation flows easier, and it's not just. Marianne and Willoughby taking up everybody's time and like playing piano for everyone. Eleanor and Eddie are like, including other people in their conversation. Not that Eddie is actually speaking to Eleanor. It's very weird. But yeah, it seems like a a nice family gathering.
1: Yeah. I mean, one part of it is that we talked a lot about the Marianne Willoughby PDA that was going on. Yeah, it's gross. It made everyone uncomfortable. Exactly. And, And this we have like a total opposite with Edward sitting like six feet away from Eleanor before it was required. He was sitting six feet away before it was cool. Exactly. And Eddie was still very much not cool. And also, I think you touched on the comfort this family feels with Eddie, where at least you get a lot of it from Eleanor's perspective, just the lack of comfort with Willoughby. I think there's an argument to be made. Mrs. Dashwood was fairly comfortable with Willoughby. The other thing is what they're bringing out in the family Marianne was her meaner self when Valibie was around. Mm. And everyone's, you know, kind of calmer and happier and a little bit more gentle with Eddie there.
0: Yes, but Marianne's being a little bit rude, I feel like, to Eleanor right now. I don't know why she's being, like,
1: sassy. I think it's partially, you know, her frustration with how little Eleanor's putting in effort to make that lasagna grow with Eddie. Oh, because she's like trying to live vicariously? Also just because she cares about her sister's happiness. I mean, the one way you could read this is that like Marianne's like, how does Eleanor ever expect to get what she wants if she just insists on sitting like a pressed cold fish all the time? Mm. And Eleanor's like, how does Marianne expect to make her way through our society if she doesn't learn to conduct herself with a little bit more propriety Yeah, that rhymed and so like that's kind of like the tension between these two sisters got it yeah that makes sense is this difference of philosophy and marianne's like you'll never be happy and eleanor's like you will be spurned from society right (laughs) all right These leads to our standbys funniest
0: quote so i'm gonna read two people's lines we've got marianne okay Oh, cried Marianne, with what transporting sensations have I formerly seen them fall? This is about the leaves. How I have delighted, as I walked, to see them driven in showers about me by the wind. What feelings have they, the season, the air altogether inspired? Now there is no one to regard them. They are seen only as a nuisance, swept hastily off and driven as much as possible from the sight. And then Eleanor says, It is not everyone who has your passion for dead leaves.
1: Eleanor is a queen of sass.
0: Yeah. Questions moving forward? Uh, okay. What's up with Eddie? Why is he being weird? Is he just that boring? Where is Willoughby? Is Eddie being weird because of something having to do with Willoughby and Brandon? Why are they all coming and going? And like, what's happening? Why?
1: Yeah. (laughs) What's happening?
0: What's happening? Last last episode... (laughs) Or two episodes ago, the question was whoomst And now it's what's happening? That's fair.
1: Uh, who wins the chapters? Margaret. Yeah, I think that's a fair win. Yeah. I think that's a fair win. Margaret had a, a good shining moment. We all could relate. <laughs> and everybody else was kind of uh, tap dancing around this chapter and doing weird shit. Margaret was just thriving. Yeah justice for margaret justice for margaret uh listeners that concludes this episode of pot and prejudice molly how are you feeling now that i shattered your dreams honestly i'm feeling a little bit shattered i'm feeling a little (laughs) bit like because i
0: was so certain and again i understand why i had to because we are a podcast that is trying to discuss literature and i was way far off however (laughs) you were really far Um, Like, I really thought that this was going to be, like, a rom-com, like, swapping lovers sitch. Um, The Eddie thing, I felt farther off. I was like, maybe this is not rooted in anything. But Colonel Brandon and Eleanor, I was, like, really, I was really certain about that. And I'm really sad that that's not going to be a thing because I don't want Eleanor to end up with this boring man. And I don't want Colonel Brandon to end up with someone who doesn't love him and deserve him. So I'm like, someone else better enter the scene for him. Um, Yeah. So that's a little bit, you know, again, disappointed in Jane Austen for not making the decisions that I would have made. (laughs) Well, hey, you have a lot of book left and a lot more happens. I'm sure. And I'm a writer, so I can be mad at her, but then I can go write my own. So, (laughs) you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, But I feel, you know, now not having that as like a, gu- a guidepost because it was my
1: yeah that's why I was like I have to take
0: that away from her we're gonna be down a weird path yeah I need a new guidepost I need a new thing to latch onto because I think that the reason I latched so hard onto that is because the economics of dating and Jane Austen are historically a hard thing for me to grasp <laughs> so I was like ah uh, rom com vibes and latched on so I'm gonna have to start paying attention to the book. <laughs>
1: I mean the the benefit here. I think you're 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 only seeing the downsides. There are upsides to this. No, absolutely. That's not a downside. It's it's a good. thing. Oh yeah, no, no no no. but I'm what I'm saying is like you do lose that sort of like we don't know we're in love with each other while we think we're in love with other people vibe that you think is it happening. Would have been so good. It just would have been so. Good. It would have been great. But I, I would put in an argument for the point Jane Austen makes in this book later and we'll get there. For platonic friendship between people of different genders? Oh, a hundred percent. That's definitely part of it. And I think like they have a very modern friendship in this way. It's, you'll see. I'll see. <laughs> but what I was going to say is like, if you look outward, then what you see instead of these two people is two people kind of lost and pining and kind of not able to deal with their own feelings. And that means there's a lot of tension, weirdness and mystery going on in this book. A lot unresolved. And that
0: makes me also a, a, another instance in which I'm siding with Marianne. I'm feeling angry at Eleanor for being lost and pining because, I mean, this man is right here,
1: but he's being weird, too. So that's fair. Yeah. And I mean, like, there's a lot here. There's a lot here. But like, that's that's what makes you honestly thinking that, Eleanor and Colonel Brandon should to get together is such a Marianne move. Well, someone tweeted at us saying
0: hearing mo- me, hearing Molly, hearing me shipping Eleanor and Colonel Brandon was very validating for them. And I was like, good. It's not just me. Um, I should have taken that as a hint, perhaps. that." Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: it's like, this is like something people talk about a lot. And I have a lot of feelings on it. We're going to get to down the line, because it's not the time yet, but we're going to get there. And I think this story is very interesting. And I think it would be, dare I say it, slightly less interesting if Colonel Brandon and Eleanor got together.
0: Really? That's my take. Really? All right. All right. Well, you said that there was some scholarship on this. When we're done, I think we should find one of those authors and get them on the show to discuss this ship because i will go down with it
1: oh yeah when we finish this book don't worry we'll do that and then we're gonna we're gonna watch the movies and we'll see how you feel about it too oh oh, what a good looking man alan rickman is all right uh listeners thank you so much for joining us next week we're going to be reading chapters uh 18 and 19 not next week but two weeks from now Mm -hmm. so Until next time, stay proper. And find yourself someone who's going to leave you a
0: large sum of money unexpectedly. Hey! Hey! Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by SpeechDocs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash pod and prejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.